You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. I'm so glad that you're with us this day as we seek the Lord together. I'm so thankful for all those who are praying right now and believing that God is working in ways that we can see and ways that we cannot see as well. I want to start off with this sentence today. The greater our vision is of God, the greater will his work be among us. Hear that again. The greater our vision is of God, the greater will his work be among us. A.W. Tozer said this on the screen for you. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Look at that. I mean, just take a moment right now and just drink that. Digest it. Whatever comes into our minds as we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say, always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Wow. Right? The most revealing thing about us as men and women who claim to love the Lord Jesus Christ and follow God is what our idea of God is. This is why this series right now is so essential. It's why this is so important. The church finds herself in critical times. The church pressed on every side with horizontal issues and distractions. However, now is not the time for the church to set her gaze upon the things of the earth, obviously. It is always the time to set her gaze upon her God. Always. Because the answers are never found looking within. The answers will always be found looking to him. Church, loved ones, friends, brothers and sisters, we must look up. What other choice do we have? We must look up. Listen, this season right now, we must intentionally, and I might add, we must insist. We must insist with our flesh by the Spirit of God and God's grace. We must insist that we look up, that we behold our God. The next three weeks, we're going to receive a serious call to take our eyes off of pestilence and politics and finances and personal security. And instead, we're going to look to the one which Isaiah 40 says holds the measures of the waters in the hollow of his hand. I can't wait to get to that verse next week, Lord willing. To the one who says the nations are like a drop in a bucket. All the nations, God says, they're like a drop in a bucket. Bloop, there it is. All the nations compared to the Lord Almighty. That is awesome. Can't wait to get to that verse too. To the one who says he brings princes to nothing. Oh, all the pomp and all the leaders across this world, they think they're so great and so special. God just snaps his fingers. God says the word. They're brought to nothing. They just disintegrate. They die. They're gone at the very voice of our awesome God. To the one, listen, men, maybe today for you right now, to the one who gives power to the faint, to the one who has no might, this God increases his or her strength. Look to him. For the next three weeks, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to unapologetically and boldly declare, behold your God. Behold your God. Look to the one, the only one. The answer to all seasons 
in particularly difficult seasons, is to not look down or not look within or even to look around. The answer has always been and continues to be to look up, to look and behold your God. Because as we look up, that's when we see perspective. When we look up, that's when peace becomes the fruit of our lives. That's when purpose guides us and leads us. Behold, behold your God. Let me summarize it this way in this poem I've always loved for many, many years. Listen, right now, if you want to be distressed, look within. I mean, again, if you want to be distressed, just keep looking within. If you want to be defeated, keep looking back. If you want to be distracted, just look around. Look around everywhere else. If you want to be dismayed, look ahead. Oh, what was me? What's going to happen in our future? But listen, if you want to be delivered, Behold your God. If you want to be delivered, look up to Jesus Christ, the one who is soon to return. And gather to him all those who love him and have looked to him. All that to say, Bible's open, I pray, to Isaiah chapter 40. And get ready to mark up your Bible in these next couple of weeks. Get ready to enhance your vision. Now is the time, church, for clarity. Now is the time. Now is the time to see as clearly as ever. No more blurry vision. I got to say, in recent weeks and months, I've kind of been humbled as I've had to be able to start reading, uh, using reading glasses for the first time. You know, some of you are like, oh, poor you, poor I understand. But for me, anyways, it's interesting. Without these now, sometimes you look, and I'm thankful for the bright lights here. It's helping me so far. A couple of years, I'll probably be wearing those for sure. But what's happening is you see a page is blurry, huh? But to put on the glasses a vision to see with clarity, what a difference! And that's what God is doing through his word. He's putting glasses, spiritual glasses on us to see with clarity that which is most important for our day right now, to behold our God. As we come upon Isaiah chapter 40, we see a transition within the book of Isaiah. Very important as we come to chapter 40. The first 39 chapters has Isaiah addressing his own generation. Jerusalem will be protected from the Assyrian invasion. But here's the shift. From chapter 40 on, Isaiah is looking ahead about a, a hundred years of what will come. He's prophesying a hundred years into the future of what will be. So chapter 40 is really speaking to a generation that has yet to be born. How cool is that? And what does Isaiah do? He anticipates the Babylonian captivity where the southern kingdom, the people of Judah, will be defeated and exiled by the Babylonians. They'll be forced to travel 900 miles. They are being subjected under God's judgment. They will be dejected, distraught, and dismayed. They will remain in captivity for 70 years. A horrible time of judgment for the people of God. And so here at this time when it appears all to be doom and gloom for the people of God and ending with Isaiah 39 again as they are exiled again towards Babylon, it is here that hope arrives. As we turn to Isaiah chapter 40, it's this situation that Isaiah speaks again. He writes to the exiles in Babylon. It's here that he writes of hope and encouragement and the restoration of God's people. Isaiah had formerly prophesied that they would be taken captive, but now he prophesies that they will be set free. 
They will return to the holy city, Jerusalem. They will be forgiven. They will know the faithfulness of their God. So Isaiah 40 then becomes an incredible transition chapter in God's word. It is packed, you're going to see this, it is packed with vision and hope and the glory of God. God is saying to his people, he's saying to his people, you have sinned, but now turn from your sin, get your eyes on me. Why does God say that? You're going to see this in this chapter. God says, I am the true king of history. I write history at my will. No one but me determines the king that rise and the kings that fall. I am the king of all history because it is his story. Awesome. Behold your God. This is what we see. This is what we know. God says to his children, you are so weak, but I am so strong. God says, the world thinks they're so tough, yet they are less than nothing and emptiness, verse 17, we will come to. Again, God says, I decide who is elevated. I decide who is destroyed. I am the Lord Almighty. I am the sovereign God. And all that begins our series now in this one awesome chapter of God's Word, Isaiah chapter 40. And here's our sermon title today. If it hasn't been put up already, Behold Your Sovereign God. What a word we need in our day right now. Behold Your Sovereign God. Hey, right now, get ready. I'm not sure if you've woken up. I'm not sure if you've taken a shower already. You're about to take a shower, though. You're about to take a shower right now under the sovereignty of God. By his word right now, and we need this, don't we? We need to be drenched by the sovereignty of God in a time of so much uncertainty and chaos and confusion and anxiety and worry. But the more we focus on the sovereignty and the glory of God, the more that peace is found and the more we see by beholding perfection, the purpose of our lives is also beheld. Oh God, may it be so. Oh God, I pray by your Holy Spirit, work at every home. I just pray, do it, Lord, do it. And every home, lifting our eyes. It just cannot fail. The more we look to him, it cannot fail. Because you cannot fail. It's hard to go wrong as you look upon perfection. Perfection is perfect. There's no, there's no limits. There's nothing tainted. There's no weakness. It's just all infinite glory and majesty. The more we look upon the majesty of God, the more we ourselves are filled again with the reality of the peace that he brings. God help us. So this launches us into our outline for today under the sovereignty of God. Let's start here. Let's make it personal, but let's go to God with each one. Number one is this. In my failure, my God is comfort. In my failure under the sovereignty of God, my God is comfort. Look at, look at Isaiah 40 verse 1 now. Notice he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. That's amazing. And cry to her. That her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Okay, again, place yourself in the context. Place yourselves within the people of Judah. You are God's chosen people. All that you've seen God do, all the stories you've heard of the glory of God. But here you find yourself being a captive you are a captive under foreign rulership again. You are a slave because of your own sin. 
What a sense of grief and failure there must have been among God's people, huh? And yet notice, notice this transition in Isaiah 40. It's in the failure. It's in the failure that God brings his comfort. When you see the context of Isaiah here, 39 to 40, notice it's in our lowest that God so often does his greatest. This is such an important principle for the Christian life. Listen, God will allow pain to enter our lives as consequences for our sin. But God allows the pain in our lives because it's through the pain that we're most ready to receive his comfort. Don't you see that? He's like, you want to choose to be idolatrous? You want to choose to sin? You want to choose to reject me? You want to choose to go your own way? I will discipline you in that, then God says, because I love you as any father loves his son. I will discipline you because I love you. I will let you feel the pain and the consequences of your sin. But then in your sin and in your hurt, there the comfort of God comes and will never feel more special and more filled with grace. The whole intention of God is to comfort his people by allowing them to suffer for the consequences of their sin, but then to not leave them as orphans or by themselves. He comes to them to bring comfort. They might receive and see and love and say, Behold our God, how awesome he is. Notice the compassion found in verses 1 and 2. Notice the word comfort is used twice. Why is comfort used twice? This speaks by emphasis of repetition. Listen, to the emotional intensity of God. That's beautiful. Like right now the Lord's saying to you, Twice, comfort, comfort, my sister. Comfort, comfort again. My brother, comfort, comfort, God says now to my child. Comfort. The compassion of God. The reaching out. Again, notice, it's in the failure that God brings his comfort. Amazing. Notice the tender voice of our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. God's voice of comfort and of invitation right there. There's an invitation. My people, come return to me. I speak to you tenderly that you might return to me and be loved. Who's that for right now? The peace that, brought, that, that God proclaims in, in verses 1 and 2, he says, her warfare is ended. Isn't that awesome? Under the sovereignty of God. Listen, God allows the battles of our lives. God ends the battles of our lives. God allows us to go through seasons again of battles, but God in his sovereignty, when he says they're done, they're done. They're done. There are seasons of suffering in our lives, but there will also be God-appointed seasons of serenity. It's all right here. Whatever God decides, he does. The sovereignty of God everywhere throughout these initial verses. Everything is under his hand and rule. Even when you step back, church, step back and look at Isaiah as a whole, even from 39 to 40, even God's people in exile, and then God's people prophesied they're going to return. Notice that God is orchestrating the exile and notice he also orchestrates the return. God is the king of history. He does whatever he wants. He decides and different rulers raises them. You, you're going to bring my people into exile. And then he decides to rise up Cyrus. And then he raises him to defeat Babylon. And his people are going to be brought back to it. He does whatever he wants. The kings of the earth are puppets under the hand of God. 
Be encouraged by that right now. Don't look around in fear. Don't look around in fret. Don't look around worrying if God knows. He is absolutely in control of every aspect because of his glorious sovereignty. We're going to see that again and again throughout this chapter. Can't wait. Look at the end of verse 2 there too. Notice it says that her iniquity is pardoned. This is a massive, wonderful statement of forgiveness. And then notice this too. For all the sins of God's people, he then doubles down on grace. She will receive double for all her sins. Isn't that amazing? In Jesus Christ, all the sin we have, all the iniquity, all the, all the transgressions that torment our souls. And Jesus Christ says to you, I will pour double of grace upon all the things you've done to hurt yourself and to offend me, God says. I will double down on grace and forgiveness. Amazing. But let's be clear, the Lord has brought consequences for their sin. Let's be very clear about that. But he will comfort his people again. In fact, the occasion of God's renewing comfort is our failure. That's such an important statement. The occasion here and in our lives of God's renewing comfort is in our failure. Such reality, but such hope, isn't it? Isn't that so true? All the times we've failed and sinned against God, but he comes again to restore us with his comfort. All throughout scripture, God breaks us to heal us. God corrects us to renew us. God brings discipline that he might bring comfort. Again, see the heart of God within these initial verses here. Notice the heart of God. His greatest intention towards his people is comfort. But he's such a smart, he's such a wise, he's such a loving father. He knows that often the greatest path to truly understanding his comfort is to understand we need to be disciplined again under his loving hand of discipline. Maybe right now as we just even look at verses 1 and 2, we can step back and consider the last year. To look at what the Lord has done and been trying to use to correct us to bring comfort to us. Let me ask you, have you recognized God's discipline yet to rest in his comfort? Have you recognized his discipline that you might rest in his comfort? That's our entire context right now. Number two is this. In my repentance, my God is coming. I just, I just love God's word. Look at this. Verse 3. A voice cries. Make sure you look. Look. Open Bibles. Everyone look. Sitting up straight. Again, honor the Lord with our posture right now. Honor the Lord with our posture where we are. Sitting in church. You wouldn't be lying down on the chairs. At least I hope not. That'd be terrible. Right? Sitting at home, just upright, just, just your, your posture says so much, you know, when you're kind of slouching and praying and kind of falling. So what does that say to God? Not much, right? But attentive and leaning in and saying, God, your word. Because he's about to talk about his word in just a couple of verses. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Why? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken nothing, and no one will stop it. This is so powerful. Notice again in these verses. Ready? Notice for those in the wilderness. See that word there? For those in the desert. 
They must prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, for those who are struggling, anyone struggling right now? For those that are barren, anyone feel barren right now? For those that are rebellious, some of those tuning in right now, you are living in rebellion right now. Preparation for the Lord must be made. In Isaiah's day, when a king was brought into the land, he would be carried upon his throne. And the road had to be readied. It would need to be um, as straight and level as possible. It often required a lot of work. This then becomes a metaphor for God's people as to what must take place in their hearts as they prepare the way of the Lord in their lives and hearts. Most urgently, how do we prepare for the Lord to come is through repentance. This prophecy here carries multiple fulfillments. Number one fulfillment, first for the people returning from captivity, Prepare the way of the Lord, you will return. Secondly, it speaks of the fulfillment through John the Baptist. Did you know that verse 3 is cited in all four Gospels? All four Gospels cite verse 3 in our text. All four speak to the fulfillment of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus Christ. So let's break that down for a second. What was the ministry of John the Baptist? How did John the Baptist, all four Gospels quote this verse? Obviously very important. What was the ministry of John the Baptist? The ministry of John the Baptist in one word was repentance. His baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was preparation of the hearts of God's people to be ready to receive the Messiah. Repentance is the single greatest way we see construction of our hearts to ready again the road of our hearts that the way is clear, preparing for the coming of the Lord in our lives. Repentance. And notice the result. Look at verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The preparation of God's people through his word and repentance in our hearts ushers in the glory of the Lord. Oh, how the Lord moves in a people prepared. Question, question for you and me right now. Are we prepared? I mean, church, honestly, are we prepared these past several months? Are we prepared for the glory of the Lord? I remember Pastor Earl said this, a couple months ago, it stuck with me the whole time. He just spoke of, we're coming up on a year soon of this pandemic. And he says, for many people who say they love Christ, that will be a year lost of seeking God. Paraphrasing what he said. A whole year lost of our lives. Just watching TV, on our phones, doing nothing. A whole year given by God under sovereignty and wasted. A whole year. It breaks my heart even to say it out loud. Stand before God and stewardship what he's given to us and say, God, yeah, in 2020 I wasted the whole thing because I was just moving around in fear and whatever it was and just self-indulging. Please, God, no. Repentance of the heart is what prepares the way of the Lord and for his glory to be ushered in. Are we prepared for the glory of the Lord? Now listen right now, the world we live in, the great sin of the human race is to diminish God. It's the great sin of the human race, always trying to diminish or destroy God. I suggest to you this sin has never been greater in our nation. 
rejecting God at every turn, laughing, mocking, spitting in the face of God at every turn. But we as his church, we can nonetheless prepare our hearts for another round of his awesome glory. Regardless of what happens around us, we can choose to see what happens within us. We can prepare our hearts for his glory, the ultimate glory, the return of Jesus Christ, as the Bible instructs us so many times. And listen, one of the greatest ways we combat the darkness and preparing our hearts again to receive the light, one of the greatest ways we combat the darkness, it just seems a little bit counterintuitive, one of the greatest things we can do in combating darkness is to prepare our own lives for light through repentance of sincerity. Wow. As each individual in this church chooses to seek the Lord in personal repentance and corporate repentance, that's when the glory of the Lord will be ushered in because every heart that is prepared, that's who God moves in. Holy Spirit, reveal to us right now. Teach us right now. Show us right now. Imagine every one of us sincerely sought God in repentance. God, prepare my heart that your glory might be coming and ushering in and using me and us as a church in our day. Repentance prepares us for blessing. At the very end of verse 5, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know what that means? God's going to do it. You're not stopping God. He's going to do it. He speaks and it's done. It's just a matter of whom he chooses to use. Will he use us? I pray he's using us right now. In my repentance, my God is coming. Number three, in my frailty, my God is in control. Behold your sovereign God. Look at verses six to eight now. A voice cries, or a voice says cry. And I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauties like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Oh, it's so good. Somebody at home say amen. Here we see the majestic sovereignty of our God, which of course is a massive theme in this chapter. The point is this, we are so frail. We are so temporal. We are so finite. We are so weak. But our God is so awesome. He's omnipotent. He is eternal. You know, in Isaiah's day, there was so much fear given to the mighty empires that threatened them, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And in our day, so much exaltation given to humanity and leaders and celebrities even. It's quite silly and insane to me. Humanity has placed itself over and above any god. Humanity laughs in the face of God entirely in our day where we live. But the word of God today gives us a reality check, and it's so good to be reminded, isn't it? It's so good to look at these verses. Every time I read these verses, or something in my heart just kind of flutters and just beats a little faster with excitement and joy. It's right there. What is it? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. All flesh is grass. What do we know about grass? It's fleeting. It withers. It's gone. Even flowers. We know about flowers. So pretty, right? Most. So pretty. So fading. I bought some flowers last week. In fact, I bought two sets of flowers last week. They were beautiful. Beautiful because they are. And yet there they go. 
just in a matter of moments. They start to fade. They start to wither. And it's not long before they are thrown into the garbage. Because now they no longer have their beauty. They, they fade away. You know, wouldn't you know it this week? I, of course, we're in lockdown now, aren't we? Not a fan. But we're in lockdown, and because the Lord's so gracious, he actually gave me an awesome sermon illustration of this very verse in my own home. He's so kind to do that. I woke up one morning, and I walked down the stairs, and I looked over. I was sitting on my chair, actually, during my quiet time, and I looked across the room, and I saw this God-forsaken plant or flower. In fact, let me just show a picture of it to you. Just that I looked at it, and I'm like, look at that. I mean, that is just, that's a incredibly pitiful, and it's like the, the plant's just like, I give up, I'm done, right? I mean, I looked over, I'm just, it's like Jesus cursing the fig tree. He's like, you are done, dead, just all the leaves fall. And there's even leaves on the ground over here. I mean, just, it's just disgusting, it's rotting, just, just one day, all of a sudden, bleh, like that. And the Lord, isn't God so gracious and kind to me? He gives me this illustration with this text this week of all weeks. Isn't that so kind of him? He's so gracious. Can look at that. Hey, the grass withers and the flower and the plants fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Man, let's listen to this. What an illustration. Men and women, they rise up. They're so great. They're so pretty. They're so important. And then, and one day just gone. Just gone, just like that. But the word of our God stands forever. Ever since it was written, it keeps going and going and going. And as much as ever right now, the word of God stands forever. Oh, it's amazing. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Look at what the Lord's saying to us right now. He's going out of his way to say, hey, listen, listen, humanity, don't get too high in yourself. That humanity, but take down a couple notches of your pride. Like, be careful now. You're not that great compared to me, man. You're going to come. You're going to rise. You're going to fall away. Be very, very careful. Humility is really great. Watch out for self-importance. You will wither away like the grass. And notice the main message of the Lord that he gives to his servant. Look at this. Look at verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? What's my message, God? What's my message? He's like, here's the message. All flesh is grass. Say this message. All flesh is grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Amazing. Oh, man and woman here listening right now, be humble. Be humble. Because very soon, this will be you. Very soon, this is going to be you. No offense, all right? But in the Lord, we live forever. Let's just look at our text here for a second too so we can see that. I love this insight for many, many years here. Notice here, notice in verse 7, the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. What's that? The Holy Spirit. You want to live a life that lasts? Live your life in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Notice verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, what's that? Truth. Oh, look at this right here in verse 7 and 8. Spirit and truth. Truth and spirit. Look at that, right in God's word. You want to live a life forever? Live your life on the truth of God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the people, those are the people who live to see eternity by the Spirit of God. Listen, the two things God has given to his church, the two gifts that allows us to remain here right now, what? The word of God and the Holy Spirit. Two things he's given to us right here in the text to say, hey, humanity, man, you're going to rise, you're going to fall, you're going to wither, you're going to fade. 
because of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. That's where life is lived. You want some application right now? Live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live by the truth of God's Word. You will never, ever be disappointed. This is under the sovereignty of the Lord. Look at God's sovereignty here. How awesome he is. Behold him. Behold him. In my failure, my God is comfort. In my repentance, my God is coming. In my frailty, my God is in control. And then lastly, number four, as we go to verse nine, in our present, let us behold our God. In our present, let us behold our God. Look at verse nine now. What a chapter. Mark up your Bibles, would you? Mark them up. When you return here next time, remind yourself you've been here and you've been marking and digesting with great veracity here God's word. Look at verse 9. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, repeat it again. Lift it up, repeat it again. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah. What a verse. And then what follows? Behold your God. The excitement in this verse, the joy in his voice. Go to a high mountain that people may hear. Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. Anyone who complains I preach too loud, here's my verse of apologetics to say why I get to do what I get to do. Herald of good news again, lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, what a leading, what momentum, right? I mean, just a, a constant repetition of preparation for this grand announcement. And this announcement comes in three words. Behold your God. That's the, that's the message. Behold your God. You, Oakville. Behold your God. You, Burlington. Behold your God. You, Milton. Behold your God. You, Hamilton. Behold your God. You, Mississauga. Behold your God, you Canada. Behold your God, the God of all glory. Behold him, the God of strength and wisdom and majesty and honor. Behold the God of sovereignty and power and control and dominion. Behold the God of dominion. I was thinking about these verses this week, and I believe that the Spirit of God led me to consider one of the, the main verses that summarize our nation of Canada, which comes from, again, Psalm 72, verse 8. That he may have dominion from sea to sea. One of the founding verses that our nation was built upon, these, that verse etched in our federal parliament buildings. That he may have dominion. And I was looking that up and remembering it. And this is on the very coat of arms of Canada. Let me show you the Canadian coat of arms here. Let me put a picture of it for you right here. And obviously a lot of detail here. But this is to identify us, our founding again. First established and right here in Latin. And I can't pronounce all these words. But in Latin, this is from sea to sea. Right here in the Canadian coat of arms is the dominion of our God. The dominion of our God. Did you know that up until 1982, Canada Day was called Dominion Day? It was called Dominion Day because the Lord has dominion from sea to sea. 
right here just a few decades ago. And then right within here, these words within Latin, I found this out this week, these were added in 1994. You know what these words in Latin translate into English? They translate, they desired a better country taken from Hebrews 11 verse 16. Right in here, they desired a better country. And they're using in the context of Canada becoming a better country, but explicit in the text, they, de- they desired a better country. A heavenly one is what Hebrews eleven sixteen says. That's awesome. Right in the coat of arms of Canada is breathing and by God's sovereignty declaring his dominion. Behold your God, O Canada. A better country, isn't that so true? A heavenly one. And his dominion, his dominion will never be diminished, ever. Dominion Day. Whether or not you change Canada's birthday as a declaration of the sovereignty and dominion of God to just Canada Day, every day is Dominion Day for the Lord God Almighty, every day, including today. Wow. But listen, regardless of where our nation goes, regardless of where our nation goes, we, we are called to behold our God. Hey, can I invite you? Put down the phone and behold your God. Put aside social media. Behold your God. Put aside the hobby for a few hours. Behold your God. Just, just let the entertainment fade away for a few hours and behold your God. It isn't really enough, enough with the worldly news. Amen? Like, come on. Like, enough with the news of the world. I turned on the news this week for like 15 I could not take it anymore. I just, done, done, done. I need to look at God. He's the only one who satisfies. He's the only one who's perfect. The only one I can ultimately trust. It's the Lord. Listen, notice in verse 9, the good news. See that? Enough of the world's news. How about for some good news? Herald the good news twice. Herald the good news. This is what we're seeking to do with all we got right now. We're seeking to be men and women heralding the good news. Oh, church, behold your God. Church, behold your God. This is what the Lord desires. And this is what the Lord commands. Right now, look up. Wherever you are, Look up. Look up. Let's pray together, church. God, I know this is I know this message is right. Because it's in your word. I know your will is your exaltation. And I take such great faith and comfort in that. You know, Lord, that the hearts and desires of the leaders of this church. It's to see as many people as possible through repentance lift their eyes up to Jesus Christ, to the one who every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I pray, Lord, that you will be bringing many back right now, bringing many back from where they've strayed, many back from where they've been distracted, Lord, whatever it might be, including me, Lord, including me, that you are causing many people to see as clearly as ever, that God is awesome and worthy and holy and righteous and magnificent. And use this song, Lord, use this song again to 
lift our voice and our hearts to you. Spread revival like a Holy Spirit fire across this land. Yes, Lord, you're the answer. We choose today, collectively, to behold our God. In Jesus' name, amen.